Morning, everybody. Um, I just wanted, before we kick in to high gear, I wanted to uh, pass on what, a little bit of what we were praying about before the service started um, was that this could be almost like an extended Father's Day, last Sunday being Father's Day, but this could sort of be an extension of that in the sense that um, any kind of unhelpful um, influences of fatherhood in our lives could be broken off and this, the fatherhood of God that we were singing about um, could be released to people today um, as almost as an extension of a fathering work that he wants to do. So let me just pray for a second um, and then we'll get going. God, we do <clears throat> embrace what you're doing as a good father. We love you and um, we receive, we receive the we receive the work of your spirit who release your, uh, your love in us and to break off anything that we've picked up over the years that's not from you related to fathers. So we just speak release and um, blessing to everybody today in Jesus' name. Amen. So keep, keep uh, sense, uh, listen to the spirit as we go through. That might be something that God's doing in y'all today. <clears throat> My name's Jim Hunter. And um, I've spoken here in the past, but this is the first time I've done it with two pairs of glasses. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, got this crazy thing going on in my uh, eyes. And um, been to a bunch of doctors, optometrists, and ophthalmologists and all that. And <clears throat> the best they can come up with so far is that I need these to read and I need these to see everything else. And they, they can't get it into one pair of glasses. So I, th I think we should vote as to which pair I should use while I'm giving the message, okay? <laughs> because with these, I can see my notes, but when I look out there, everything is a, just a big blur. So you could, uh, the message might make more sense, but you could all get up and leave and I wouldn't really even know <laughs> that was happening. So. I'm, I'm not leaning toward these, actually. With, with this, this glasses, these glasses, I can see you clearly out there, but when I look down here, I see two of everything. So um, I think we can get through. Uh, I just may be repeating myself, you know, as I, as I turn the page. I'll say everything twice. So <clears throat> hopefully that won't be that irritating. Um, so the... Uh, the first thing I want to show you is really the last thing that we're going to talk about in the message as well. There should be, there you go. This is the punchline. I always need God and I only need God. And I'm, um, I'm showing it to you now because I, I do intend to bring the whole message back around to this by the end, but in case I get sidetracked or uh, distracted somehow um, and lose my way, you and I together will know this is what I'm going for, okay? So everything I'm saying is kind of headed toward this. And thanks, Brother Rick. <clears throat> so if you want to write something down on a note card that you can put on your refrigerator door or a bathroom mirror or something, this, this, is, uh, this is it. So actually, the message today is part three of uh, a message that I started last summer called Standing on Earth, Sitting in Heaven. And I spoke once um, in August and then another time in October. And the spiritual truth that was 
I was trying to get out of that whole uh, uh, series is that while we are living on earth, living in the reality of earth, and by the reality of earth, I mean the, the part that we can see and touch uh, and feel, the part we perceive with our senses, while we're, we're living in the reality of earth, we're also at the same, very same time living in the reality of heaven. Um, Jesus lived in both of those realities, and he kind of, from his language, it seemed like he was sort of going in and out, or else he was simultaneously experiencing both of those. And I, I had a couple of examples. But it's, it's amazing that he also expects all of his followers to be doing that too, that we can be living in the reality of heaven at the same time as we're living in the reality of earth. He, he does things like... Um, when he's talking about our daily provision, he says, why are you worried about things like what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat? I mean, I mean, he's things that I would think most of us probably are worried about. And he said, I don't even get it. Why are you worried about that? Because your heavenly father knows you need those things. So he's speaking from the reality of heaven there. Or when he's out in the middle of a lake uh, on a boat and it's in a storm and um, the disciples think that they're going to drown and he's sleeping and they wake him up and he calms the storm <laughs> and he says, why were you so afraid? So he was living in another reality there. The disciples were in the reality of earth. That's all they could see. They thought they were going to die. But he was in, living in the reality of heaven at the same time. And so he knew there was nothing to worry about. Anyway, I called those living in those two realities, standing on earth and sitting in heaven. And the, the sitting in heaven reference comes from Ephesians 2.6, where Paul says that we who are in Christ, believers in Christ, have already been raised with Christ and are seated with him in heaven right now. It's theologically true, so it is it is literally true. We are seated in Christ, in heaven with Christ right now. Um, it's not just after we die and then, you know, we say we, we go to heaven. Um, but heaven is all around us and the reality of heaven is something that, that, um, that Jesus wants us to be living in right now. When we're, when we're sitting in heaven, again, we see things from the perspective of heaven. We see the triumph of the cross we see spiritual beings ministering on behalf. Micah talks about that a lot. We see the great cloud of witnesses, people that have already died, and they're cheering us on. That's the kind of thing that, that provides a framework for our way of life and our way of thinking when we're sitting in heaven. I said that when we're sitting in heaven, there are four resources, four of God's resources that we experience when we're sitting there. God's presence, God's peace, God's purpose, and God's power. For God's presence, um, I said it, it's not just that he's everywhere all the time, which we know, but that he's here now. He's here now. And when he's here, nothing is missing, which then leads to his, his peace. Um, even though the mountains... Uh, are maybe falling into the, the heart of the sea all around us, um, we can experience his peace because he is with us. I mentioned that Bill Johnson, this, in his book, uh, Hosting the Presence, he says that every peace-filled moment we experience 
brings terror to the powers of darkness. Uh, the, the, the enemy is afraid of the peace of God. We said the peace of God is a violent spiritual weapon because the enemy doesn't really know what to do when we're living in peace. And then God's purpose. Um, I said that when we're aware of his purpose, uh, we have this understanding that there's really only one thing on the earth God is doing all over the earth from the beginning of time. It's just one thing um, he's gathering. <laughs> He's gathering a great family of worshipers from every nation, tribe, and tongue to be a bride of dazzling beauty for the honor of his son. It's one thing. That's the only thing he's doing. And then I said a kind of a shorthand way of, of saying that to each other is his purpose is to show the world how beautiful God is and lead others to become his disciples. So uh, we spent a lot of time talking about what that purpose is. So then that leads to God's power. Let's look at a few verses related to the power of God. John 14, 12. This is Jesus speaking um, on the night before he's crucified. <clears throat> and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So Jesus expected that this, um, the power of God would be flowing through us, through his, his um, disciples, with miraculous outcomes um, all the time. That was just sort of uh, an assumption of his. And then another verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. And then my favorite one is Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20. And, um, and I'm gonna wind it back a, a couple of verses. I only put 19 and 20 on the slides, but, but I wanna uh, back up a couple of verses to 17 to give you some context. So Paul's writing to the Ephesians and um, he says, I keep at, verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, <laughs> may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And then verse 19, what you see here, his, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So what Paul's writing this so that our eyes would be enlightened, so that we would really grasp this. This is so important from his point of view. So the same power that's in us is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's, that's, that's a big deal. Um, I, th I think sometimes we get this picture, you know, we know Jesus lives inside of us if we're believers, okay? He's, he lives inside of us. But somehow I think we, we picture that as kind of a, a little man that's in here, you know, kind of from our belt to our chest. He would sort of fit right there if he were inside of us. And um, I don't know if you remember or ever paid attention to 
the uh, Diet Dr. Pepper commercials a few years ago. There's this little guy rides up on a little horse, and he's, and he's either very annoying or hilarious, depending on how you look at it. I think he's hilarious. But this little guy about that big. And so we think when we're carrying Jesus around inside of us that we're carrying this little man, and we go up to pray for somebody, there's this little man uh, praying. But the, the real picture of the power that's in us is not that there's a little man in us, but we are riding on a lion, okay? Um, the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia uh, um, stories has this great picture early on where Lucy and Susan, they're riding on Aslan, who's this enormous lion, and uh, who's the Christ figure in the story. So they're riding on him, and when he roars, all of creation responds to that roar, okay? And that's the power. We have the, the resurrection power of, of God is lion power. It's not little man power. So when you, when you say to a coworker, hey, could I pray for your headache? It's not this. You're not just letting a little man out, but you're, you're walking into that situation riding on a lion, okay? It's... Uh, it's it's just super incredible, and, um, and that's what Paul's trying to get across here. So my question is, why don't we always see that resurrection power flowing through us then? Why do we think there's a little man in there and not, <clears throat> not that we're actually riding on a lion, that it's a lion power instead of a little man power? <clears throat> so there, uh, there's a couple of things. Um, um, part of it is that, we, again, we just don't believe that we really have lion power inside of us. But there's a couple missing links that keep the power from flowing, I think. So missing link number one, the power is for the purpose. <laughs> okay, remember I just said what the purpose was, the purpose of God. God's purpose is um, that all <clears throat> people from every nation would know him and worship him and um, that everybody would understand how beautiful he is and that we would lead people to becoming his disciples. So Jesus puts the power and the purpose together in um, this verse, Acts 1.8. It's right before he, he's been crucified, he's resurrected, he's appeared to the disciples a bunch of times, he's getting ready to leave the planet and um, he says, Jesus speaking, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So he says, I'm giving you power so that you will be my witnesses. Um, this, this all goes together. This is one big enterprise that the whole family is involved with. You receive power you be my witnesses. And, you know, we talked about the VNWSSM classes. And one of the things I love about this church is all the classes we have. So from the beginning, uh, you know, the old days we had Alpha. Um, we had School of Kingdom Ministry. We had all sorts of kind of variations of that. Um, the School of Prophetic Ministry, that whole, that whole section of of resources that's developed in the last few years. So we've got tons of classes. In fact, how, how many of you have been through one of those classes? Any one of them? Okay. You know, 
lots, lots and lots of people. Okay. So the point of those classes is that our minds would be renewed. We'll believe the truth about ourselves and about God. And we'll take on God's purpose as our assignment. And we'll get involved. And we'll get engaged. That's really the purpose of all of those classes. It's not just so that then we'll go home and we'll say, oh, well, now I have another book on my shelf or, or anything like that. It's so that we can get engaged. Each one of those classes is a resource to help um, strengthen us so that we can be involved in, in the purpose of God. And there are tons of ways, obviously, to, to get involved. But I think part of why we don't see the power flowing in us is we're just not that connected to the purpose. We're, we're going about our daily lives, taking care of our own worlds, um, and that seems to just be so time-consuming and energy-consuming that we really don't have room for getting connected to the purpose of God. And this is not, um, this is not like a crack the whip. Hey, get involved. You need to be doing more. This is just an invitation from God. He says, look, you're going to experience so much more joy, so much more energy and, um, you know, enthusiasm for life if you're involved with my purpose, because you're going to see power flowing through you, and it's just going to rock you, and it's going to rock other people. So it's just an invitation to, um, to, to get involved and to see that power flowing through you. So, so I encourage you, um, if, you, if you don't feel like you're seeing this resurrection uh, lion power flowing through you, just think about where you, could, where you could plug in and get more connected to the purpose of God. <clears throat> then missing piece number two, and I want to spend the rest of the time on this, is embracing our dependence on God. One of the reasons I think we don't see power flowing through us is we we stumble at this point, embracing our dependence on God. <clears throat> so God created us in his image, but we have built-in limitations as human beings. Uh, the limitations are there on purpose so that we can't just go off um, and do our assignment on our own. God wants us to do our assignment with him. He wants everything we do uh, to be done with him. He wants to do it together. Um, there's a principle in scripture. We're created for intimacy with God, and out of that intimacy grows, uh, we, we break off the spirit of independence, we grow into dependence, and then step three is God releases us into more authority. So you've got intimacy, dependence, and authority, and that's how the Garden of Eden expands, and how the order um, of, the, of the Garden of Eden is extended to the rest of the earth. It's how we subdue the earth, intimacy and dependence and authority. And but what happens all the way through Scripture is God's people, they meet God, they hear the plan, and then they run off and do the plan their way, uh, on, with their own priorities, their own timing, uh, their own strength. And, of course, it fails, and God rescues them, 
and then they go through it again. Sometimes with the next generation, they meet God, they're so excited about connecting with Yahweh, the creator of the universe. Uh, they hear the plan, and they go, okay, I know how to do that, and they run off by themselves, and they do it the wrong way. So, um, so we do that, and not, it's not just something that's been done throughout history, but we do that. So God reminds us of our limitations. <clears throat> Here's a verse um, from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is Paul writing. He says, and so he's recounting this encounter that he had with God. He had this face-to-face conversation with him. And God was saying to Paul, so God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul knew that it was a good thing that he had weaknesses because those weaknesses made him embrace his dependence on God and allowed the power of God to flow through him to, to other people. The, those weaknesses actually made him strong because it let God's power be, be revealed. So I think we embrace our dependence on God through two parallel but slightly different actions. One is humility, and then one is faith. We'll go on to humility here. Humility, I, um, I use the phrase to express humility, I always need God. And this is where we're starting to come back around, okay, <laughs> to uh, the main point. Humility says, I always need God. Sometimes I fall into the trap of thinking that um, I should be able to do something by myself for God right now. Uh, I mean, I'm... I'm intent on following his purposes, but um, certainly by now, you know, having been a a believer for a long time, I should be able to do something on my own. And um, part of, a couple things going on there, part of it is I want people to notice me, okay, I'll be honest, and then, but the other part is I feel sort of this responsibility, hey, I'm, I'm a mature believer. I I should be able to kind of take some of the load off God, you know, by now. He shouldn't have to do all this for me anymore. It's something about growing up. I I feel like I should grow out of depending on God 100%. But John 15, 5 says, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So I always need God. Um, And this this has been my biggest sin struggle for my entire life, this this point right here. You know, I I, I really do want people to like me. 
And, and I feel as though if they could see my good works, then maybe they would like me. So I find myself being more concerned about can people see my good works and like me or more than can they, can they see my good works and like God because of that. In my 20s, right out of college, I was in this Christian campus ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I was on staff uh, for five years. And at one of the conferences, one of the speakers said that, um, he said, you know, a lot of young believers come through. Uh, they've got all kinds of enthusiasm. They have gifts galore. Um, they have dedication, hard work. Um, he says, but then their fruitfulness is kind of stunted or uh, they, they somehow get off the rails because they can never quite get it straight about who gets the glory. And I heard that and I just, oh, God, that's me. That's me. I know it is. I know it is. That was, it was just like, smacked me in the face. I mean, I could see it everywhere I turned. And um, so, you know, that was one of many times in my life of, of repenting of that. But, and it has gotten, I mean, that issue for me has gotten better over the years. In my, that was my 20s. Well, in my 30s, I, I um, really began to experience the, the baptism of the Father's love, just the deep experience of his love. I did, it took me about 10 years to even know what it was I was experiencing, but, uh, but it, was, it was all the Father's love that we sang about today. Then in my 40s, it was the power of the gospel. By that I mean that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> Um, we, did, we can't make uh, a good record that will impress God. He doesn't want the good record from us. He is the good record, and he died for us while we were still sinners. So that's, that's the gospel. And yet that didn't, you know, so I'd become a Christian in my teens, but I was in my 40s before I really was set free by that, by that truth. And then um, in, in the 50s, my 50s, I'm in my 60s now in case you're, keeping score. Uh, but in my 50s was when we started really diving into the identity message here at church, um, who we are in Christ, um, that we're totally new creations, that we're, the old man is dead, the new man is, is alive, the new man who's perfect in God's eyes. Um, and so that was a powerful one. Each one of those was a life-transforming thing, and each one of those kind of chipped away part of that, um, that sin uh, struggle that I had with, with trying to seek my own glory or trying to just do things on my own. So, but that's why I say it takes humility to say, I always need God. You know, I cannot do this on my own. And when Paul said at the beginning of Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he was, he was basically saying, I'm not ashamed to say, you know what? I always need God. Relying on our own power is a recipe for failure because we miss out on God's power when we rely on our own power. So it's good for me and it's good for the world that I always need God. It's good for me and the world that I have weaknesses, limitations that only God can, can um, take care of. 
So it's not a problem that I need to be, that needs to be fixed, not something I'll outgrow, this always needing God. Um, like 2 Corinthians 12 said, this is how his power, God's power is released into the world through my owning the fact, embracing the fact that I always need God. So uh, in the same way we said uh, in my last message that the peace of God is a powerful spiritual weapon, the uh, humility is also a powerful spiritual weapon. First Peter 5, uh, here's just a few verses uh, from that letter. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. I think it's intentional that Peter put humility right next to our, our resources for defending ourselves or resisting the enemy. Humility the, and the grace that's released to us through humility is a key part of how we resist the enemy. So then, going on to faith, so humility was I always need God. Faith is I only need God. So I always need God, I only need God. Some people get the humility step, um, they say I always need God, but then it turns into this sort of spirit of poverty where they always feel like they're needy, they're never quite sure if they're gonna have what they need, and they're worried about not having enough. When we acknowledge that we always need God, God invites us to believe by faith that he is all we need. So we say, I always need God, and then he says, and I am all you need. And we say, I only need God. A few verses about that, Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So this is, uh, or other translations says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The, the reason we, we know every need is met is because God, uh, the image here is of a shepherd taking care of sheep. We're not coming up with our own provisions. The, the shepherd takes care of everything. In Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So those are true, those, those scriptures are true. Um, and when I say it takes faith to say I only need God, I'm, I'm thinking of the word faith in these two senses. One of them is believe, that I believe these scriptures are true. So I believe that's really true, that Ephesians 1, uh, that it's lion power in me, it's not just little man power. Um, and then trust, I'm trusting God to make these things real, these promises real in my life, even when I don't see it. So in this area, I think that there's tons of things that can come up that we, that we think we need in addition to God. So in other words, things that are keeping us from saying, I only need God. Um, it might be like, um, I need people to believe that I'm right when we're having a disagreement and I'm not gonna be satisfied unless they believe I'm right. Um, I need people in traffic to drive the right way. <laughs> uh, 
um, I need my kids to be in good health. And so I just cannot be settled with, I cannot be content if they are not healthy. Um, I need more money. Who doesn't say that from time to time? Um, I need my favorite sports team to win the game or win the championship or whatever. Um, I, I was working on uh, this message recently, and um, I, I felt like God was giving me up a, a, a couple of years ago, asking me to give up my attachment to what at that time was called the Cleveland Indians. Now they're the Cleveland Guardians. Um, and partly because of this issue, I felt like I needed them to win. And if they didn't, I was just crushed. And of course, through most of their history, they didn't win. So, so I was constantly feeling crushed. And, um, but so it had been, a, uh, it was the end of 20, the 2020 season. So it's been a year and a half. And they were on TV a couple of nights ago. In fact, our, our uh, niece and nephew, their family was out in Los Angeles watching a game and, the, and I said, well, I'll turn on the TV because maybe we'll see them. We didn't see them, of course, in the stands. But I started getting into the game again. And the Dodgers beat the Guardians like 7-1. to one. And all the way through, every run the, guard, the Dodgers scored, I go, oh, oh, another one. And then, oh. And then it was like, they're not going to win. Oh. And so I was carrying this thing. And, and I said, Jim, you're still doing it. <laughs> you're still saying, I need them to win, God. I need them to win. And so it, it was affirmation for me that, yeah, it's good, it's good for you to walk away, buddy. Just walk away from that right now. But it's things like that, they can be serious things or they can be trivial things. But we, we get in our, in our minds this, this sense that we need them. We need God and that. We need God and this thing to happen before I can be truly satisfied. So when I, say I'm on, when I say I only need God, I'm saying, you know what? Even if I never get those things, you are enough. God, you are enough. You are always all I need. I only need you. So there's a, there's a trust thing going on there. So I just wanted to, all of us to take like 10 seconds here and think, is there something like that in your life, maybe it's a trivial thing or maybe it's a very serious thing, um, but you find yourself saying, I'm not gonna be content unless I get that. And um, <clears throat> God can say whatever he wants, but I am not gonna be content until such and such happens. Um, just take 10 seconds and, and think if there's something in your life you can identify like that. If you can think of something, then God might be asking you to take a leap of faith and say, I only need you. Even if I don't ever get this one thing, I only need you. So this week, this week is, a come, is a milestone week for me. I'm going to retire from work on 30, uh, June 30th, Thursday. And so... Um, it's, you know, I'm just starting to get a sense of what that really means. But um, last week, I came home from work. I was taking my shoes off, and, I, and this phrase hit me. 
you made it. And I thought, okay, well, what, what does that mean? I made it. I mean, there was, I, I, I felt kind of sense of relief with it. But what I realized was it's not because, you know, I'm soon going to be 65, so I made it through, through the dodgeball tournament of life and made it through uh, to 65. Um, it's not because I have tons of money, because money can go just like that. We all know if, if you've looked at your retirement accounts this year, they're probably lower than they were at the same time last year. Um, so it's not that, um, but it's just that I realized that God was with me all the way through and that he has always been everything I need. He's always been enough that I only needed him. So I had that thought and it was just like in an instant and the very next thought was, my kids are gonna make it too. <laughs> and I realized that, that God will always be with them and he will always be all they need. And I just, I rewound back to when I was their age. So, the, so our youngest son, Nick, will be 31 this summer. And so I said, when I was 31, um, I, had, I was changing my career. I mentioned that campus ministry position. I was only in that for five years. When I was 31, I was going back to get my master's in, in business. Um, we had one child and we had very little money. Um, and here are some things that I did not know about my future. I didn't know how long it would take to finish my MBA. It turns out it took a long time. I didn't know that Karen and I would have two more kids. I didn't know all the jobs I would get and all the jobs I would leave, all those transitions. I didn't know that I would attempt to start a business. I didn't know that that attempt would fail and uh, nearly take our family into financial ruin. I didn't know that we would move four times, two of those times between different cities. And I didn't know that we would find people all along the way who would encourage us to press in for more of God. I, I didn't know that God would get us through, even though I should have, right? Because the, the promise of scripture is there. But I didn't, I couldn't say it then. So in my early 30s, I was anxious about what the future held. But now when I look back, I can see, oh yeah, he did it. He did it for me, and now I can see that he's gonna do it for my kids. So I have 30 plus years of perspective that they don't have yet, and I can see, oh yeah, it really works. God is really faithful, he's really true. All of these promises are true, and you're gonna make it too. So, but it's a little bit like um, Thomas, the, uh, the disciple who um, Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he appeared to everybody but not to Thomas, and Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can see the wounds, put my finger in the holes, and so on, and so Jesus appears to him, and, and Thomas goes, oh, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen but blessed are those who believe without seeing. And so 
my prayer for my kids, and really for all of us, because we all have a future. We're sitting here today, but we don't know what the rest of the year holds, the rest of the decade. We don't know what the future holds. For all of us, um, you know, my prayer is that we could say, yes, um, I only need God, and he will always be with me. I know it's going to work. I want to share a trick in closing here, a trick I've used for the past several years to help me embrace my dependence on God, this whole thing of humility and faith. Um, it helps me stay connected to resurrection power. Uh, it was inspired by this old commercial that we're going to show right now, TV commercial. Can you hear me now? Good. Can you hear me now? How do you build America's Good. largest wireless network? Can you hear me now? Good. By never being satisfied. Can you hear me now? Good. Until no matter where you go. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Your call goes through. Can you hear me now? Good. Verizon Wireless. We never stop working for you. <clears throat> All right. If you're at least a certain age, you remember that. That's only, it's been like 12 or 15 years ago, I think, is when that was out there, okay, can you hear me now? And um, so I was at a red light once, and I heard this question, do you need me now? And I thought, where'd that come from? And then I, I realized, oh, God is asking me this question, do you need me now? And my first thought, well, that's kind of catchy. You know, it's kind of a play on the commercial because I must have been saying the commercial in my mind too. So I thought, how creative of the creator, you know, that he's playing off of this commercial that I know. But so he says, do you need me now? And I said, yeah, I do. And he says, okay, and at the next red light, are you going to need me then? Yes. The next one, yes, and it was just kind of like this commercial. Wherever you go, you're going to need me, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, I want you to take every red light, every time you stop at a red light, and I want you to ask yourself, do I need God now? And, and I want you to answer, yes, I do. And so... Whenever that started, again, it's 12, 15 years ago, when I come up to a red light, I say, do I need you now? Yes. <laughs> yes, God, I always need you. And it's, <laughs> it's good that I need you. It's good for the world. It's good for me. It's good that I need you. I'm never going to outgrow it. Uh, every step I take in life, I will need you. Every moment I'm alive, I will need you. And I just go on and on, sometimes through the whole red light, um, and then the light turns green, and I go, ah, and you are enough. I only need you. You're everything I need. Uh, you will always be everything I need. So the red light, God, I always need you, and then the green light, I only need you. And I mentioned it's uh, the traffic thing. Um, it's, it's especially hard to say that Nowadays, if, you, if you're at, sitting at a red light and the light turns green, what's the first thing you notice? All the cars going through, on their red, right, on your green, you know, one, two, three. They, they just keep coming. And so you're thinking, this drives me crazy. Why don't they drive the right way? That kind of thing. Um, 
And, but I say, you know what, God? I don't need people to drive the right way. I only need you. You are enough. Um, so red light, I always need God. Green light, I only need God. And then sometimes that goes on to the next red light. You know, I, you know when I see a yellow light, I put on the brakes because I say, oh, man, I'm going to get another moment with God right now, you know, when I stop for this red light. And um, so for me, that helps cultivate this, this sense of uh, dependence on God. It's, it's uh, a phrase I use is diving practice. It's I'm, I'm diving under God's um, sovereignty and his authority and his rule in my life. And I'm saying that you know, he is the one that I need. And I think this really is what, this is what made Jesus' life on earth as effective as it was. You know, he came to earth as a human being with all the limitations that a human being had. And yet he embraced those, human, those uh, limitations. Philippians 2 mentions, uses the term humility. In humility, he went to the cross. He embraced those limitations. He was willing to be dependent, willing to let the Holy Spirit flow through him, through that dependence. Um, and that's why he saw the power of God flowing through it so dramatically through him. So why don't you stand up? We're going to bring it to a close here. Prayer teams, if you can come on down. Um, so um, again, if there's anything, maybe if, maybe if there was something the Lord brought to your mind when I asked you to think about it that was um, um, something that you're saying, God, I need you plus this other thing. And he's asking you to let that part of it go. Or um, maybe it's, um, you know, something else about uh, wanting to, to be in a position of people noticing you rather than noticing God. Or it could be the thing right back at the beginning about the fatherhood. Maybe God was just speaking to you about fatherhood issues and his goodness, whatever it is. Um, come on up, and um, we'd love to pray for you to seal that. Otherwise... We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here.